1: Let's get started.
0: And now, Bench Talk Live. This is a series of lectures delivered by Kentucky scientists and hosted by the Kentucky Academy of Science. We're honored today to rebroadcast another lecture from the Bench Talk Live series. It's Andy Minitowski of the Department of Psychological Sciences at Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green, Kentucky he delivered an online lecture on July 13th. Dr. Andrew Manatowski is going to discuss his research on how we read other people's faces. Apparently, different parts of the face are important in expressing different kinds of emotions. And on top of that, our ability to interpret that changes with age. And with this pandemic, and hopefully everyone wearing masks, How do we interpret other people's emotions when they're hiding behind a mask? Now, he does refer to a few slides of data in his talk, but he does a good job of describing it. And if you're curious about the details, though, we will post a link to his PowerPoint slides, both on the Bench Talk page at forwardradio.org and on our Facebook page. So check that out if you want more details. This lecture starts with Amanda Fuller, Executive Director of the Kentucky Academy of Science, introducing our speaker. And I'm excited to announce that Amanda has agreed to become a permanent member of the Bench Talk team, so you'll be hearing more from her in the future. But in the meantime, let's hear from Dr. Andrew Minitowski. <music>
1: I want to introduce Andy Minaltowski from WKU. Andy's a psychologist. The title of his talk is "The Eyes Have It: Anticipating Difficulty in Facial Emotion Cue Perception."
2: All right, um, my name is Andy Minaltowski, and I am a faculty member in Psychological Sciences at Western Kentucky University. I started studying psychology uh, as an undergraduate uh, at Michigan State University, and then I went on to. Georgia Institute of Technology to study cognitive aging. So I got my PhD in psychology from, from Georgia Tech. I've started off being interested in social cognition and aging. So a lot of my training is in how we navigate emotion regulation and how the interactions we have with others influence the way that we judge them. As my lab and my collaborators and I have started to study social interaction and I became more interested in studying emotion recognition. So I'm gonna start by thanking a bunch of people. So the Office of Research, the Office of Academic Affairs Graduate School, and all my collaborators, my students, who I work with in the lab have been very helpful in terms of the way that uh, we've been doing research on aging and emotion recognition. And also the National Science Foundation has supported some of this work. We use multiple types of methods within the lab to study emotion detection and emotion recognition. Uh, Some of them are just very simple techniques, like I show a face and I ask people what emotion they see. Usually it's selecting from a number of different categories. Sometimes we also will use a little more sophisticated measures that look at brain activity. And our our work is really driven to try to better understand where there really are emotion recognition deficits with aging, because a lot of the research suggests that older adults have a harder time doing it. But as we'll we'll talk about, some of that is really based on the types of methods that are used to collect the data from participants. And a lot of our focus, of course, as being scientists, we're really focused in sort of imparting our techniques onto our students. So a lot of what we do is to show students how to use research design, ethics, coding and statistics to study basic research questions like how people perceive emotion in faces and what sorts of factors might disrupt that perception. Well, emotion recognition is something that starts off very early on in life. So in the first four or five years of life, we start to develop sophisticated language for characterizing the emotions that other people are experiencing. And the way that psychologists might tackle research questions as to how categories develop within children is to maybe show a picture of a face and ask the child to tell a story of Um, how that person experiencing something that might elicit that particular expression. Or uh, you could tell the child a story and ask them to choose a label or to choose a face that might map on with that story. So you can use these kinds of techniques to understand the extent to which children can distinguish between different types of emotions. A lot of the researchers who study adulthood have sort of stuck with Paul Ekman's basic six emotions of anger, disgust, sadness, fear, and surprise. And so uh, a lot of the research with kids is also focused on trying to understand the extent to which these sorts of categories are separated out as the child has more social experiences. On the left is a diagram of the outcome of a study performed by katsychitis. She asked participants to sort images of facial expressions into sort of six different piles to represent six different categories, as well as no emotion. And what she found is that when, when we do this, when we think about the emotions that other people are expressing, We tend to use very specific regions of the face or combinations of regions of the face to form our judgments. So in the figure on the left, the y-axis, so starting from the bottom and going to the top, reflects the position in the face where we might focus our attention when trying to identify a specific emotion. And so if you look at the grid, at the top you see sadness, fear, surprise, For this particular study, emotions that were categorized or images that were categorized as sad, afraid, or surprised tended to involve more of the top half of the face. And then those images that tended to involve anger, disgust, and happiness were more reliant on the bottom half of the face. If we take a look at the images on the right, we can see that in some cases these emotions could be very confusing. So surprise and fear, for example, have sort of upper face dominance to them and the eyes tend to form a particular conformation that is similar across them and we might use the mouth to sort of disambiguate what we see. So if one were to cover their face with a mask, it might be possible to detect surprise and fear because There are many cues that we might rely on in the eye region to detect those emotions. But for emotions like anger and disgust, if we sort of cover the mouth region, we might have a harder time distinguishing between these emotions. And we might even throw happiness into the mix. It might be challenging to distinguish between emotions like anger and happiness if all we have to rely on is the upper half of the face without other gestures or uh, vocalizations from the person with whom we're interacting. So uh, like I said earlier, uh, my interest really is in how this process of recognizing emotion changes as people grow older. Dozens of studies over the past 20 years have demonstrated that older adults tend to have more difficulty relative to younger adults at recognizing anger, fear, and sadness in the faces of others. Now I don't want to alarm anyone because it's not as though individuals can't recognize those emotions we're talking about the difference between performance of like 95% to 80%, or maybe slightly lower than that. And so we're interested in trying to understand what accounts for this. And so a few factors that generally account for these age differences include things like cognitive demands, perceptual sensitivity, and where we look on the face. So there are age differences in all of these things. So it's worth mentioning that with cognitive demands, when you present a face and you ask a person to identify the emotion they see, if you provide someone with lots of different labels to choose from, that becomes a more demanding task than if you only ask them to choose from two. So if you ask them to choose from many different labels, you're having to consider, well, what's the probability that it's going to be any one of like five or six labels? But if you narrow it down to two, then it's much easier for participants to do this kind of experiment. So in other words, when we say we see these emotion recognition deficits, the deficits really are found in the lab. And so when they filter down to everyday life, they don't always appear in our social interactions that we have with older people whom we know. However, they can pop up when we're interacting with older people who are strangers to us or um, who we don't know very well. In the work that we do, we might present a face for a short period of time and ask people to tell us which one of two different expressions they might see. So I wanted to include an example of the types of faces that we might show people in the lab. So these are grayscale faces and we manipulate the intensity of the expression. The intensity, when we manipulate it, it obviously will drastically influence the types of visual cues that are available to the individual to make a judgment. And so what we usually find is at higher intensities, older adults perform in a way that's similar with smaller uh, differences relative to younger adults. Uh, But when we show lower intensity expressions, those more subtle cues are a little bit more challenging to detect. Uh, And this is definitely the case for fearful expressions. One reason for this could be that older adults tend to focus more of their attention on the mouth region than on the eye region. And part of this is related to hearing impairments that start to pick up as we go through middle age to older adulthood. And so we do focus a lot of our attention on the mouth region of other people while they're talking to us and expressing their feelings. Here's another example of what our types of research would look like. So a psychologist is collecting data, they might Uh, present a face at different locations on the screen, if if they're trying to understand how presenting the face in different regions of the visual field might influence performance. So if I'm presenting a face right in front of someone, so directly in front of them, they might pay more attention to fine details that are available. So the, the cues that are available to evaluate the emotions. But as you move the stimulus, the face out into the periphery, we sort of lose our ability to focus on the fine detail. And we might take instead big-picture messages from the expressions. And so what we generally would see in these kinds of studies is that younger and older adults actually behave in very similar ways when we move images out into the periphery. But one thing that sort of pops out here is that older adults tend to have a harder time, like in, in the prior slide, with fearful expressions when they're presented at lower intensities. And one of the dominant explanations for this is that they are looking at the mouth more than the eyes. But another possibility could be that there are changes in the connectivity of subcortical brain regions that are usually responsible for threat detection. So the connectivity between those regions and the visual system that Naomi talked about in, in her presentation might be responsible for some of the deficits that we see with older adults when they are recognizing emotions in other people. So we have had the opportunity to look at this kind of research in the lab where we do something really simple. We present a face in the middle of the display and we ask people to either just passively sit there or to categorize the emotion on the face. And in the background, um, we're monitoring what's going on sort of under the scalp, under the skull with their brain activity. What you see in the front, electrode map that has 128 electrodes, this is a 128 uh, electrode high density array that we would use to track what's going on when a person looks at an emotional face that we present on a computer screen sitting in front of them. sometimes we present the image quickly, a fifth of a second, and other times we might present it for a full second. Uh, And what we can look at then is essentially how does the electrical activity that's taking place within the brain shift From the front of the head towards the back of the head, and then from the back of the head back towards the front as the individual is categorizing the expression. So the electrodes are measuring electric potential, and when a bunch of neurons are sort of collectively turning themselves on and off together, that consistency can be measured using electrodes. This is electroencephalography. So we can track waves of neuron activity across the scalp as the areas underneath the skull react to the image on the screen. So we pay really close attention to the timing of the image and the timing of the electrical activity. And so what we can do is if we include enough trials in our experiment, if we show people enough of these images is we could average across all of, say, the happy images or all of the angry images to come up with what essentially would be the average performance whenever the individual sees a particular Emotion. And if there is enough consistency across the different stimuli, that might tell us that, say, people who are younger or older will differ in the way that they might process emotions on faces. So we, we might start by first tracking a shift in electric potential from the front of the head to the back of the head as the individual registers the face on the screen, and then the occipital lobe and t- temporal and parietal lobe start to take over to do the visual processing with the stimulus. This is happening very, very quickly. So within a tenth of a second to, to two tenths of a second, we start to see the first signs in the brain that the individual is identifying a face that's in front of them, that they're seeing um, a, an image that is a face relative to some, some other object. And then we can track emotion categorization taking place immediately after the individual has identified that they're looking at a face. And so we're looking at things that are happening really, really quickly. So within the first third of a second after a stimulus appears on the display. So we could really break this down and focus on a set of electrodes towards the back of the head. So if we're looking at electrodes that are in the occipital lobe, you can see them sort of highlighted in in red. Um, What we could do is track how the electrical potential amplitude varies given when a specific face is presented. So you can see in the figure on the right, large peaks and troughs. Um, these are uh, waveforms that reflect the average of lots of trials across people and we have different plots for younger and older people with solid lines representing young and dotted lines representing old and there's a a lot of sort of technical things going on when you do the analyses here but what we sort of take away from this is that if you look at what's going on within uh, the first two-tenths of the second after a stimulus is presented after a face is presented Younger adults tend to show a sort of stronger reaction to angry expressions than happy expressions. And then a little bit later on, around 200 milliseconds and later, so two tenths of a second and and, and later, both younger and older people are sort of registering that they're seeing these emotional expressions and they're both showing stronger reactivity to angry and happy expressions relative to neutral ones. So we can think of the electrical activity as being a wave that is being passed from the, the, the retina and the eyes to the back of the head with the visual system back to the front of the head so that the individual can categorize whatever it is that they're looking at. And so if we tend... to to look later on in the trial, so after about 300 milliseconds, 3 tenths of a second, then we start to see the sort of standard patterns where older people focus more, or are more reactive to happy relative to angry expressions and younger people are more reactive to angry relative to happy expressions. So part of the reason for age differences might be linked to what's going on in the brain and the way that the visual system is processing this information. It could be the case that there's just a natural preference for positive information that's built over repeated experiences with our loved ones as we get older. Maybe we're insulated a little bit more from some of those negative experiences with strangers that younger people might be more open to, because maybe they have more more social resources that they're willing to use to meet new people. But for, for older people, it could be the case that their focus on positivity might cost them when it comes to perceiving negativity. Also, there is some age-related degradation in the neural connections within the visual system as people get older. It's sort of this wobbly processing that takes place where it might impose some static or some noise when the signal is fed forward. So when the emotion signal is fed forward throughout the visual system, as that information becomes more and more noisy, what older adults might use to evaluate what they're seeing in front of them is going to be a little bit different than what younger adults might evaluate. But very early on, the visual system of each age group is behaving in very similar ways to these emotional expressions. Another way that psychologists might look at the way we process emotion in faces is to present a face in the center of a display and then like literally track where your eyes are looking on the face. So some psychologists will use this sort of eye tracker cameras that are mounted on either the participant's head or on the computer in front of them and it's tracking where you are fixating, where you're focusing your gaze on a face. Research that's looked at this is either presented faces for a brief period of time, like two seconds or as long as eight to 10 seconds. And then the scientists are going to take sort of averages of where you are fixating, where you're focusing the most. Are you focusing off the face? Are you focusing on the bottom half of the face? Are you focusing on the top half of the face? In a study by Jabby and colleagues, uh, they, they presented stimuli, these images of faces, for two seconds. And then they looked at across lots of different trials, they averaged across lots of different trials to look at the extent to which people were looking at the eye region or the mouth region for all those basic emotions. So happiness, fear, anger, sadness, disgust, and no emotion. Uh, so what you can see in the figure, the x-axis reflects the different emotions. So along the sort of horizontal on the slide is the different emotion categories separated by both younger and older people, and then the y-axis, the measure, is the amount of time people spend on, on average for a given trial fixating on either the upper half of the face or the bottom half of the face. The lower half of the face is carried by those purple columns, and so you can see there's a pretty stark difference between where younger and older people are focusing. Older people are focusing on the lower half of the face and younger people are focusing on the upper half of the face. So this poses some consequences for recognizing emotions when people are wearing masks. So here is an example of a happy expression. And the individual on the right, same individual, is wearing a mask. If we shift to an angry expression, you can see a sort of narrowing of the eyes that might take place. So distinguishing between happiness and anger could actually be a challenge when someone is wearing a mask. I first noticed this when I shopped at Kroger's. I made this this homemade mask when all this stuff first started. And I would go, I would go shopping and I would wear my mask and people would look at me funny. And I, I think that they were trying to figure out if I was upset with them or if I was smiling at them. And I was smiling a lot, but it might have been perceived as though I was angry. Plus I was in a hurry. So being in a hurry and looking a little intense, that might be enough to scare people away. But if a person's expressing fear or surprise, you can see when expressing fear or surprise wearing a mask, we do see the sort of, maybe there's a reaction that something is unexpected in our environment. So it might be easier to detect this sort of alarm when someone is wearing a mask. If the sadness is a very difficult expression to interpret without seeing sort of frown that takes place underneath the mask. But all hope is not lost. So consider this face. What emotion is being expressed on this face? Often people will either choose anger or disgust. This, clearly they'll say she's just not happy with something that's going on. And then they might elaborate and say the individual is angry or disgusted. If you add additional context, then this is a dirty diaper, then yes, she's probably disgusted. But what happens when she's wearing a mask? Well, we still might say she is disgusted because the context of the dirty diaper is going to be helpful to inform uh, our evaluation. And research that looks at sort of age differences in our ability to recognize or detect emotion shows that older people, when presented with this background context, do just as well. As, as younger people. So ultimately, when we look at a collection of cues, either visual cues, or we throw in our tone of voice, or we have some kind of object or prop that might help us to express our emotion, uh, we tend to see that people do much better job at recognizing the emotions that we're experiencing. So some, some final thoughts. You know, when we're motivated to communicate with other people, family members and friends, Uh, people who uh, we have long-term social interactions with, we're going to be attuned to their verbal and their nonverbal cues. And so we might be a little more inclined to recognize emotions that they're expressing. When emotions do rely on cues that are located in in regions that are covered and these cues are similar, that might make it more challenging for us to detect emotion uh, without that additional context. You know, and I found this out in, in going shopping that The challenge really lies in people trying to interpret emotion when they're a stranger and you're interacting with them for a very brief amount of time and there might not be motivation to interact with those people again in the future. Then we might be a little more uncertain as to what emotions people are expressing and it it might create some hard feelings if people think we're being rude towards them and we're not really trying to be. So it is important, as Naomi had mentioned before, too, to be tactfully expressive with gestures use other body language and tone of voice when communicating. And that is it. (laughs) Oh, I see some questions. Oh, what age group is younger versus older people? This is a really good question. Younger people in our research tend to be 18 to 30 and older people tend to be over 60. And there's a lot of variability within people um, between 18 to 30 as well as over 60. Lots of different things, especially in over 60, lots of different things can happen between 60 and 70 and 70 and 80 that might disrupt performance. Or I should also say, being older doesn't necessarily mean or guarantee that an individual will be poor at recognizing emotion because it really depends on their uh, propensity to be around other people uh, and the extent to which they're sort of learning from their experiences because we do continue to learn from our experiences as we grow older.
1: Andy, i like your final advice to be tactfully expressive with the gestures. Thank you. (laughs) Good advice. Another question is about gender differences.
2: Yes, there are gender differences. We generally observe um, females tend to be better than males at recognizing emotion in the faces of others. And the difference gets smaller as we get older. Part of this could be related to survival, <laughs> who survives, and so the males who were okay at recognizing emotion, maybe they're the ones who have the sort of social skills to to continue. That's all speculation, but we do, definitely do see that younger, younger males have a harder time at recognizing emotions. Um, it, it could also be the case that the way that an 18-year-old describes how they're feeling is different from how a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old or a 60-year-old, uh, how they might describe how they're feeling Although we develop these categories, the way we talk about our emotions and the comfort we have in discussing this with others definitely uh, will vary as a function of the individual's maturity level.
1: (laughs) Someone is uh, mentioning that they're trying to push the expressiveness upward and use their (laughs) eyes (laughs) more in communication, which is great. Uh, Here's a question about children Is there research about how young children are learning? When masks are worn,
2: I mean, I guess you would expect if they're if they're interacting with family members or they're interacting with people, like with whom they're living, that they're if they're sort of socially distancing and isolated, that they're probably still expressing emotion with the people who that that care for them. So Mm -hmm. they're probably still learning. It it could be really dependent on the way that the the family is set up and if the family is expressive. Because there are cultural differences in how acceptable some emotions are in expressing anger. It can be something where it's maybe less acceptable.
1: Or body language. You know, different yeah. families use body language more or less. Does that yeah. make sense?
2: I'm thinking about how to communicate about emotions with my undergraduates in the fall. I'm thinking about teaching some ASL emotions early on so that if they're bored, they can communicate to me when they're bored in class so that we can try something different. (laughs) There was a question about do doctors and nurses, I think they do because some of pain recognition is also dependent upon if an individual is expressing sadness or fear or there's sort of like anguish specific cues so although we might talk about the six basic emotions, some scientists have broken it down to 17 plus different emotions. And so definitely there's gonna be some training. Same thing with law enforcement. There's training in terms of how to spot different emotion expressions. And I'm sure a lot depends on the resources that are available to these different groups and the amount of time they have to train.
0: That was Dr. Andrew Menetowski professor of psychology at Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green. Thanks to Andy for sharing his research with us today, and thank you, Amanda Fuller, for moderating the talk and letting us rebroadcast it. I wanted to tell you that there's another Bench Talk Live event coming up. This next one is just as pertinent as today's lecture. It's on COVID-19 vaccines and therapeutic treatments. It will be a Zoom call. Everyone's invited and it's completely free. It'll be on Thursday, February 23rd at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll post a link on our Facebook page so you can pre-register for the talk. Or you could just do an internet search for Bench Talk Live and you'll get the KAS's registration website. Thank you for listening to Bench Talk, the Week in Science. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, wear your mask and don't forget to smile with your eyes.